and welcome to the Trash Tapes podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are about to experience trash. And welcome to another episode of the Trash Tapes. One man's trash is another man's treasure. I am your host, Johan Chapal, and the Inflictor of Pain. And I am joined by my usual victim and DJ, Edward Harvey. Hi there. Hello, Johan. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm okay. Um, it's 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 going to be an interesting one this week uh, because obviously we're doing we're doing a very special episode, but also the fact that this is the first time we're recording the podcast. This time with my new look, which is predominantly just me removing all of my hair. Yeah. Um, I've shaved my head, but what's interesting is this was around the time uh, where we've had where we heard the news about Bruce Willis. And so it kind of feels appropriate that now I have no hair and we're now talking for the first time properly a Bruce Willis movie on this podcast. Are you doing Bruce Willis cosplay now? <laughs> Give me a dirty vest. <laughs> Just let me walk around grizzled. I might be able to pull that, pull that off, I think. We heard, obviously, that Bruce Willis was retiring. Okay. And to be honest, I think we kind of saw the signs a little bit, especially with maybe the last few years of his career, I guess. Yeah. It certainly seemed like he was just racking up some money just so he didn't have to do movies anymore. Like he just saying yes to anything just to just to accumulate a, a large sum of money to retire on basically it seemed, that's what it seemed like yeah um because he yeah because he did a whole bunch of like straight to dvd movies for about three or four years mm. and if you imagine like he's getting paid a million to just do one week's worth of acting in a movie because that's what they usually are then if you can rack up like 10 or 12 of them in a in a year you know yeah. But before before the whole news came out that he actually did have a problem with like uh, early Alzheimer's and stuff like that, like memory loss and things like that, everyone was like making fun of him, thinking he was being a bit greedy and lazy, like doing these roles and stuff. Like he hardly showed up, just did a few lines, and they were cutting around him and stuff like that, and thinking, "Oh, this is annoying. When's he going to do proper roles again?" But 
then we kind of understood when it all came out, didn't we? And we felt a bit sorry for him, really. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, which, yeah, because people had mocked, mocked him for a bit, but there was some signs that, for example, like he had to, like for the last five or six years, he'd been using an earpiece to have people read his lines, for example. Mm. Or just like he didn't move a lot. Like, like in terms of acting, he was mostly just standing up or sitting down in places. Yeah. So it was getting on a bit. Now, when we wanted to do this episode of the podcast, I mean, obviously we could have done any of the recent movies he's done because they are all awful. Like there's one called Cosmic Sin, which is just absolutely, oh boy. But I saw that as thinking that's low bearing fruit and kind of unfair. Yeah. So let's go back through his archive because he has done some bad movies. Yeah. Right? Definitely. And why not do... His his passion project, his <laughs> his baby, the one that he grew from the ground upwards. Ladies and gentlemen, we're doing Hudson Hawk. Oh, hey, what's up, girl? Can I ask you a question? How do I look? Like a fraternity thing? <laughs> I just got out of jail yesterday. I didn't want to steal anything. I didn't want to go to Europe. All I wanted was a cappuccino. You still think you're the greatest cat burglar that ever lived? You are one hell of a thief. Hudson Hawk is an evil, evil man. I'm just some guy that's good at swiping stuff. Eddie, we're hanging off a castle in the middle of Italy, and you're asking me how you look? Okay, okay, you don't gotta get tested about it. You're gorgeous. You look like Zorro. Well, I didn't know. Buongiorno. Yeah, buongiorno. Maybe you could help me. I'm being blackmailed into robbing the Vatican by a psychotic American corporation and the CIA. I don't, uh... <laughs> you don't speak English? You have very beautiful eyes for a man. I got a bad feeling. I can't even swim. Hell, I'll probably kill you. Da-da. Oh, we Oh, I was afraid you weren't gonna drop by. You wanna know something, Eddie? What? You hit like a girl! Started the week by stealing the sports stuff and ended by swiping the codex. Yeah, but what are your plans for the weekend? Hosting away the Coliseum? Can't we just go back to the kissing part? Life doesn't get much better than this. Yes. <laughs> Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk. When. Okay, so how do you know Hudson Hawk? Like, when was the first time you've seen it? Um, I saw it when it came out on video to mm. to rent so i guess that would have been when did the movie come out 91 92 i yeah, guess it would have been like sort of like the year after it because it, it comes they get videos they came out about a year later didn't they on on video mm. but yeah it was one of those that i rented um mm. and i kind of had fun with it back then but i didn't mm. i was quite young and i didn't really understand what was going on mm. and as i've got older i Still, well, I kind of, I, I understand what's going on now, but I'm thinking, why is all this stuff going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, so you saw Lecture when it came out on video. I saw it many years later uh, because uh, Bruce Willis, this is the thing, Bruce Willis is 
was realistically my childhood hero, right? Yeah. I saw Die Hard at the age of eight when you really shouldn't be. No. And I thought it was the best movie ever made. He's the coolest person ever. I want to watch more Bruce Willis. Welcome to the party, pal. So I started watching a whole bunch of Bruce Willis movies and so on. And then later on, when I found out that he used to have a music career and still kind of had a music career, you know, playing the harmonica basically in a blues band and calling himself Bruno. Um, that's a whole skit. Um, I heard I heard about Hudson Hawk and I watched it. And I got a different reaction to you. I didn't think it was fun. I thought it was like, what the hell is this? Because, you know, I saw Action Man Bruce Willis, right? Yeah. I saw I saw the diehard Bruce Willis's. I saw, you know, I saw the last Boy Scout Bruce Willis. I saw that Pulp Fiction Bruce Willis, right? Well, I saw all that as well, but I also saw things like, I remember when um, Moonlighting was on TV and I was like, so young. I can remember like a vague memory of that, and that was a comedy. And also, I I've I used to love the Look Who's Talking movies, and he did the voiceover for oh, Baby, yeah, he didn't did, he? Did. That's a comedy. So I was I was familiar with it, his comedy work went mm. going into this kind of thing. So I think I think I always thought I always knew he was going to be funny. Like I always mm. knew he was funny, but in an action movie, quippy funny, you know. Because yeah. when you compare it to the humor in this movie, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I would say though, some of his best performances are comedies. Like, uh, how good was he in Death Becomes Her, for example? He was, oh, he's shit. hilarious in that movie. Yeah, he's really yeah. good in that because I think it just it, it feels like he can be neurotic and just mm. be a little all over the shop. Um, yeah, and yeah, he's good in comedies. Not saying he's not, but in this. Well, strange tone, isn't it? There's some like there's some, there's, there's a lot of comedy bits, but there's some stuff in there that isn't funny at all, and it's like what like it's very violent in places. Like it is, <laughs> it is. Do you know actually? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this before we actually go into breakdown what the hell Hudson Hawk is because I now I think our listeners are curious. There's a body count to this movie. Do you know how many? No. 22 people die in this movie. That's like a like a B, B action movie, isn't it? Kind of it's level. Like, it's like a RoboCop level of <laughs> death numbers, you know? <laughs> this is supposed to be a slapstick heist movie. What the hell, Bruce Willis? What the hell? And as, as, as a kid watching it, I couldn't kind of process that. And I just kind of skipped over the bits I didn't like and just... Because as a kid, you don't always watch a whole movie, do you? You just kind of watch bits that you like. Sometimes you might turn it off once you got to the bit that you... You, you know, you'd like, you kind of, you just watch that bit and then you turn the movie off. But nowadays we tend to watch the entire movie and process it like that. Or sometimes, you know, when you watch a movie and you think you remember the bits and then sometimes you sit there like, I forgot how long it took to get to the bits that I look like. I think yeah. it's a little bit with this. But yeah, for all the listeners out there who are saying, what the hell's a Hudson Hawk? Well, Hudson Hawk is a different thing. Bruce Willis can very easily explain why he's called Hudson Hawk. There's a very nice, sexy little weird scene in the movie that does that. Where'd you get the hawk? Hudson New York. Where'd you get the name Hudson Hawk? Well, the hawk is a slang word for the cold wind that blows in the wintertime. I grew up in a town called Hoboken, New Jersey, which is on the Hudson River, so... Hudson River? Hudson, Hudson Hawk. Hawk, yeah. And where did you get these? Oh. I had a little accident around the house. What happened? 
Fell on some chickens. Does it hurt? Yes, they hurt. Maybe I can make them feel better. Uh, okay. See what you can do. Um, but Hudson Hawk is a 1991 uh, action action comedy film, kind of goofbally, kind of a heist caper and everything else, directed by Michael Lyman, who was, who basically people might remember him as being the director of Heathers. So, oh, good. so it's a great movie. It's a great movie, right? Remember, uh, this, Heathers was actually his first feature film. Yeah. Which is mind-blowing. Mm. Then he made a second one. And then literally, this is his third feature film. So he hasn't been on the scene much. Bruce Willis obviously stars in the movie as the as the Hudson. But also, as well, he's also, for the first time, he also co-wrote the story for this uh, with his longtime friend and partner who was a musician who found him in the 80s as a musician. Um, his name being Robert Kraft. Yeah, didn't he, like, he heard him playing ban- in bars and stuff. And yeah. he was, like, really into it. And he... he- he had one song that was called the Hudson Hawk, didn't he? And like, yeah. and he would join in with his songs with on harmonica and things like that. And like, they became sort of friends that way. And mm. it was one it, to me. It seems like it's one of these projects. You know, when you're when you're young and you think, oh, what if we made a movie out of this? And it's can have all this going on, have all that going on, and then. The trouble is, those movies shouldn't really be made. They're usually like wacky, crazy ideas. But the trouble is when celebrities have the means of making those ideas come to life, they just do it because they can. It doesn't mean that they should. Exactly. Because this is the thing. These are two two lifelong friends. And they had this idea for Hudson Hawk, like, you know, this this screwball uh, heist, heist cat burglar character for a decade right they had this idea for a decade and then once bruce willis was out of moonlighting and got and got a little bit more popular with die hard and die hard 2 they thought fudge it let's try and do this because i think he just he just really wanted to do it and robert Kraft also really wanted to do it as well and so they wrote the story for that and then gave it to joel silver another famous producer at the time to say like let's make this movie because already he was already working, Joel Silver was already working with Bruce anyway on the Die Hard movies. So mm. it's like, well, okay, you're gold, Brucey, you are gold. Come on in, and we'll get also we'll, we'll we'll get we'll get this other Michael guy who know who did Heather's. That's kind of a black comedy. That's what you're kind of going for, right? And then they just kind of merge together and go for a while from there. Yeah, because the um. He's also credited as uh, one of the composers as well, Robert Kraft. Like a lot, of, he did, but him and Michael Kamen, who did awesome stuff like the Prince of Thieves score and things like that. So, like, he was a really good composer. But he's also got Robin Kraft in there as well doing the music, yeah. uh, which is like, how can you have two composers? It's like because the thing is, he couldn't have done the songs because the songs are all licensed big hits. So, I don't know. It's it strange. Turns, it turns out that Robert Kraft and Bruce Willis composed the theme song. Right, okay. okay. So maybe that's where Robert Kraft falls in as composer. He just wrote yeah. the Hudson Hawk theme music. I can't even remember that, though. I can't remember the I, theme. I, what was the theme? Andy McDowell. So, yeah. she's in this. It's, it's weird. Like They haven't got much chemistry, have they? It's like, it's a weird kind of, the love story element is quite weak because, well, for a start, there's not really much time for it to develop. Uh, Mm. It's just kind of thrown in there. It's just an added thing. But no, they haven't got a lot of chemistry. And then her lines are really awful. Um, So it's just a bit strange, the whole love story element. 
Well, I'll throw that into you because uh, Andy McDowell wasn't the first choice. Okay. Right. So originally, originally it was Isabella Rossellini was the first choice. Okay. Uh, she was originally cast. When the movie was delayed because of scheduling issues, uh, she couldn't do it. So they got so they got this woman called Mar- uh, Marushka Dent- uh, Detmers. I can't remember her name. I don't know what who she is. But she's more. But she's quite a sort of renowned sort of. I think sort of French Russian like Netherlands actress right who yeah. moved to France and she's like she she was quite renowned in the French scene so basically they wanted to have her t- they wanted the original character of Anna to be this European hot chick basically mm. but then apparently uh, after a few days of being on set due to some chaotic issues she had to leave shooting because she came with back problems like oh, literal right. like she couldn't move her back Ooh. so then suddenly it's like, ah, oh, fudge it. Andy McDowell, she around? Let's get her in here. <laughs> so, Is so Andy I, McDowell a star by this point? Um, good question. Because mm. um, she became she bigger was, in the late mid to late 90s, I think. I don't think she was huge at this point. No, I don't think she was because obviously, like, um, obviously things like uh, Groundhog Day was 1993. Yeah. Uh, but she, I mean, she was in Sex, Lies and Videotape, which is 1989. And but really, it wasn't until like Groundhog's Day and Four Wings and a Funeral, you get to really know Andy McDowell. She's, so. <laughs> she's got this, it's, especially in this movie, she's got that sexy tone. Everything's like said really sexy. And it's like, stop being going to be sexy all the time. It's like every line, she's like, sexy. Yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder if that was a direction from, from them and say, like, can you just say everything like it's a sexy whisper? <laughs> everything. Even the stuff that isn't supposed to be sexy. And it's like, come on. <laughs> Because there was a lot of reshoots, there's a lot of things happening, there were lots of things delayed, a lot of things were going on, and I think what happened was that Bruce Willis, who was a main writer, star, producer, everything else, you know, felt like, I think basically, got so inspired by this that he constantly kept adding ideas to the script, yeah. All the time. So it kept constantly changing, which annoyed quite a few people, including uh, Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhard, who are, who are still apparently best friends. But Richard E. Grant hated it so much that she, he dedicated an entire chapter to the production of this movie in his autobiography. <laughs> yeah, I remember it didn't... Because um, Mark Mode quite like this film and yes. he he when he's met uh, Richard E. Grant around about the time he said I'm actually one of the few people that likes this movie and he really sort of gave him an insult back to say you're, you're an idiot like for liking it it's a steaming pile of shit <laughs> yes my favourite memory of Hudson Hawk well two actually I remember watching the film sitting next to Kim Newman in uh, I think it was the Odeon Leicester Square huge cinema total silence in the auditorium except for me and Kim Newman laughing like geese it was something that we enjoyed, and the more everybody around us didn't enjoy it, the funnier we thought it was. And I then remember Richard E. Grant coming on the Radio 5 show that I was doing at the time, and I remember saying to him in what I thought was a friendly way, you know, hey, Richard, you you know, you were in Hudson Hawk and that movie bombed, but I really loved it. To which Richard E. Grant said, it was a pile of steaming hot donkey droppings and you are an idiot. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Just imagine Richard E. Grant doing that, because he was wacky. Um, but because of th- all these ideas were thrown on the day of set, so 
the actors were getting annoyed because they couldn't really prepare anything the day before. Like, you know, you couldn't like read the script and get prepared for the scene or whatever. Mm. Um, so they had to just wait and say like, what's new in the script with Bruce Willis coming in? Like, Hey, I've got this really funny joke. F- follow along with me. Why don't you? And originally Grant, who's like, trained in like professional acting really yeah would hate that would hate to go in saying like follow my lead it's like but you gave me a script i've mastered the script you gave me the direction i'm using the direction and then literally having everyone the director the bruce willis going scrap that we're doing this instead yeah i suppose it depends on the actors involved because the last mm. film we talked about, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the similar thing yeah. happened, but they were mm. all up for it and loving the chaotic sort of fast-paced energy of it, and they liked that. But I suppose in this film, sorry, these people just didn't like that. So I think the reason for this one is because I think, right, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the reason why that worked is because I think everyone was on board. Mm. Like, they knew things had changed, but everyone, other than Dennis Hopper, really, were all on board. Like, let's just keep going. Let's improvise. Let's do this quickly. Everyone was like go team right mm. so even even in the chaos they made something weirdly coherent here is basically just bruce willis <laughs> coming yeah. in strutting his stuff and saying hey man i'm going to change this let's do this um and just scrapping whole ideas and then the budget went over so there were certain whole there were whole like locations that had to be scrapped because they ran out of money in some cases it got way overblown um, and things got delayed and lasted longer because basically it was most of the time it's like Bruce Willis was changing ideas on the fly. The director had a different opinion on certain things. Um, certain people had different ideas of how, what the character should be. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a bit like uh, Cobra with like Stallone actually kind of getting involved in changing things when the director's kind of like just letting it happen kind of thing. Kind of, but yeah. I feel like with but I feel like with this one, it feels more like the director was at least trying to keep everyone happy. Mm. You know, while in Cobra it just felt like Stallone walked in and was like you're the boss, man. You're the boss. While the other director was, you know, he was young and he was fresh. And he actually said, like, the reason why he picked this one is because he was already a fan of Bruce Willis. He just wanted to do it because you get a big budget and you get to have Bruce Willis in your movie. So why not? You yeah. know, which for a young filmmaker or like this is only your third feature, of course you would jump at the chance. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, so, yeah, I feel like that's the case there. It's not like Cobra where basically really it was all the Stallone show mm. and everyone just went along with it. Um, I feel like this case is just Bruce Willis throwing loads of ideas and hoping it sticks. And then the director trying to keep everyone else happy about Bruce Willis's instant add-ons to the movie. When the movie uh, started, like when I rewatched it a few days ago, Mm. uh, the... I was so nostalgic for the intro logo. I've got a clip of it. How great is this? Go on. Ooh. Tristar, the Tristar, pictures. yeah, with the running Pegasus, like running, the, running towards the screen. It's like it's one of the most nostalgic movie logos for me. That one, I absolutely oh, love great. it. I don't think they're a thing anymore, are they? They kind of merge into another company. They merge with Columbia Pictures. In fact, yeah. this was the Hudson Hawk was the very last movie. 
produced entirely by TriStar Pictures right. before they merged with Columbia Pictures, right? Which was going through a similar financial difficulty. So basically, they were kind of relying on Hudson Hawk to be a hit. Yeah. <laughs> which... I guess. Because the film lost so much money, Sony had to salvage TriStar by purchasing the remaining stock and then by reorganizing said company and putting it in together to become with Columbia Pictures. So eventually United Stars and everything else uh, basically comes with United Stars when they were bought out by MGM, Columbia and TriStar were then allowed to use their own logos and merge together. Mm. So in other words then, there was a big merger with Columbia, TriStar, um, bits of MGM, things of United Artists. It was a weird thing in the early 90s where all these things were now merging together it, but I think basically I think they were banking so much on Bruce Willis just selling this movie mm. as being like he just did Die Hard 1 and 2 some of the biggest action movies of the decade right now they are so gangbusters people are still looking at him from moonlighting people know him he's getting there let's give him a passion project right up front and people will come to it no matter what it is because it's bruce willis yeah but it's not always the case is it nope i mean it's it's the, the way i mean the movie sets i've got a clip of the opening yes because it's got this weird almost princess bride kind of story time intro where you've got a narrator who you never you never get an idea of who this narrator is it's just a narrator that appears that he kind of bookends the movie and just yeah. sets up the whole link with Leonardo da Vinci. So let's just play that. Go for it. Long ago, the Duke of Milan commissioned a little-known artist to erect a mammoth statue of a horse. The time was 1481. The artist was Leonardo da Vinci. The guy on the donkey is just a guy on a donkey. Anyway, they called this statue the Sforza, and it was gonna be the largest bronze statue ever built. But wouldn't you know it, war broke out and bronze became scarce. So Da Vinci decided to create a machine to change common lead into bronze. But when Da Vinci finally turned this machine on, it was to give him something more than he expected. Uh, yeah, he's so he he they needed it like someone wanted a big statue of bronze, and bronze was hard to get hold of. Yeah. And he initially got this machine, except put this machine together to well, he wanted to make bronze out of lead, but it ended up making gold, gold. and that's quite a dangerous thing making gold because everyone will want it, and it's yeah, yeah, and then it becomes this weird. You get all these villains involved. And it becomes like, oh, we want to dominate the world. All these, there's too many villains in this movie. <laughs> Basically, what the movie is is right. It's a heist movie. It's a caper. It's a conspiracy movie. It's a secret society film. It's a historical mystery about the whole thing with cloud punk and and Leonardo da Vinci having the ability to turn steel into gold. And you're sitting there going, like, like if you t- listening to that on its own, you'd have no idea it was a Bruce Willis movie. Like no. you have no diddly squat that, Bru- that this Bruce Willis heist movie was going to come out of that. It almost, it seems like a fantasy movie or even like, because it's got like, um, it, it could even be a swashbuckling type movie from the way mm. it's presented. It's got the, 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 the font on Hudson Hawk is very much like a font on a swashbuckling movie when that comes in. 
and mm. because of their ear and stuff like that, you could imagine people start sword fighting and then going on a ship somewhere, like sailing away. You could imagine it happening. Why do I feel like a Bruce Willis swashbuckling movie would be secretly one of the best movies ever made? <laughs> why like, isn't it that? Why isn't it like Bruce Willis the pirate? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we need. We need him in tights and swashbuckling away. Uh, but yeah, it starts off like that with the, and ends with the weird sort of Princess Bride book, mythical story, fantasy thing. But then literally after the whole conspiracy in Leonardo da Vinci conspiracy theory about he's has he's, he's got this magical crystal that using the sun could actually turn steel into gold it cuts a left field and then now suddenly we see Hudson Hawk in the modern day just walking out of prison yeah so I've got a clip of like um basically as soon as he he comes out of prison. His parole officer is offering him a job immediately. As bold as balls, just like in the prison, just He's being right there. <laughs> just let's play that. Go on, Eddie. Eddie. So the Hudson Hawk is finally getting out. Remember all the reporters that were here when you came in? World's greatest cat burglar. Now who gives a fuck? A proposition for you. It's just no gates, even if you bathe. Listen, smartass, as your parole officer, I found you a job. No way. It's a terrific job. An auction house. One night's work and you're free. No checking in with a shrink, no more community service. But I want to do community service. I want to teach a handicapped how to yodel. I ain't stealing no more gates. <laughs> Ten years later, you're still impressed with yourself. Same old coat, same old hat. Let's think, Parker. From you, that's a very powerful statement. Aren't you supposed to stop me from committing crimes? You know, book them, Dan, or give a hoot, don't pollute. We're not that wise guy. See, I can set you up and send you back anytime I want. It's a very fine line between ex-con and uh, escape con. So... Hey, Gates. Do it yourself. <laughs> hey! He's got my key! I'll be seeing you, Hawk. Yeah, also, you, you get the uh, introduced to... 90s cool Bruce Willis, like his outfit and stuff. Like he's got this, he's got this black Stetson hat. He's got the trench coat. He's got multiple earrings. Like on one ear, he's got lots of earrings on on the lobe, and uh, yeah, and he's got those little round sunglasses that were popular in the 90s as well. And I, mm. when I saw it as a kid, I thought he looked so cool. Yeah. I was like, I thought this is really cool that look. <laughs> and do you know what's the thing, Ryan? This is going to be something I think we're really going to. I think I'm going to really emphasize while watching this movie. I look at that Bruce Willis in the outfit, and I think that's just how Bruce Willis dresses like. Yeah, you know, that is the most Bruce Willis. His pant jeans, kind of, you know, up to the belly button, tucked in shirt, waist, you know, like leather, like leather waistcoat, sometimes jacket. He's got the hat. He's got the sunglasses. He's walking off. He thinks he's cool. He thinks he's like the coolest blues musician if you ever want to find out how bruce willis is like as a person as a personality as what does he like and dislike what does he find funny and not find funny what's his music taste if you want to really find out bruce willis the person hudson hawk is like a thousand percent bruce willis personality the movie well one of the interesting things about this film if you notice it's it's well, I only really noticed this when I saw it this time. The whole mm. movie is just driven by Hawk. Just he just wants his cappuccino. Yes, the I've running got, joke. Right. Uh, so listen to this. Just get me to the five tone, Tommy. I'm gonna get a cappuccino soon. I'm gonna strangle somebody. You still got a thing for those unmasculine European coffees? No, can I say? Unmasculine. <laughs> Who's your buddy? 
So, Mr. Oh Coffee, God. have any trouble checking out? Not much. Case you try to blackmail me into doing a job. <laughs> that donut hole eating son of a bitch take it in the ear for a beer. Rat bastard! That's the perfect amount of foam. Come on, let's get ten of them back at the, <laughs> the perfect amount of foam. The reason why I want to play that clip as well <laughs> is because it's got an example of um, Tommy. The actor, yeah. what's his name? Danny Alio. Yeah, Danny Elio. Yeah, he he has like two levels of his performance, and a lot lots of movies he kind of he does the likable kind of calm tone, but then mm. now and again that bit where he goes rat bastard, bastard. Like that, that he goes up to that <laughs> level or he goes to the calm level because in the, he's in he also in Jacob's Ladder, yeah, as well he's in Jacob's Ladder, and there's a bit where. Uh, Jacob is is in like the hospital and he he's his chiropractor and he goes to mm. like rescue him and take him out of the hospital and uh, he goes to, he does the same thing in that movie there's a bit a scene where he goes this is barbaric and it's the same as that like, <laughs> rat bastard kind of level he does like those two it's not it's, it sounds it's, like it's I'm the, really making fun of his like, ability because he's he just like seems to have two levels but some actors are like that aren't they they have this this one sort of thing they like to do often, quiet. but then they switch it on now and again and go explosive. And go to- it's like quiet, quiet, bang. Yeah. Look, he, might, he, ha- he does have two switches in this movie yeah. and they are funny. But I'll tell you one thing though. Can I just say that basically Tommy Five Tone uh, and Bruce Willis's character, they're one of the best things in the movie because their chemistry, their chemistry has more sexual chemistry than, than, than Bruce oh, Willis and I Andy mean, McDowell. You're right. That, they, they, that is the strength of the movie. And I mm. really just wanted that. I wanted, I mm. wanted it to be a fun crime caper movie and somehow like they have to do these jobs Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't need all the Da Vinci-type stuff. I just want them to be, like, back in the game. And they're a bit, little bit older now, and but they're having so much fun doing it. And that you do yeah. get elements of that, but I just want the entire movie to be like that. They've been friends for years. So when, so when he wrote, so when the character was written, Bruce Willis said, I want him because yeah. I've known him for years and we could banter like hell and they could improvise and act like friends because they are friends. And it just... It means that when I listen to them, it just feels like this is great. This, like I said, this has more sexual chemistry than, than Bruce Willis and Andy McDowell. And yeah, it, bro, it's it, it, bromance stuff, isn't it, going on? Full yeah. bromance. Like, they love each other. Like, they will do anything for each other. And, I, and it's even a thing, like, I love the bit later on in the movie where where basically um, where Andy McDowell almost teases that Bruce Willis is going to go to bed with him. And then she, then she does and just gives him, gives him the pillows. And you can see Five Toe going... Yeah. What are you doing? You're joining me on the sofa, like, 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 like a bunch of girlfriends. I know, and I love, I love the fact that he's absolutely pissing himself laughing, seeing like Bruce uh, Hawk's character like fail at like swooning. Yeah, <laughs> very special night. Yes, it was. Is. Well, there's some things you don't know about me. Even there's some things I do know about you, and about me, and about that bed. It's another time, Hudson. Look, can we just have a late night cappuccino? I'm sorry, but the machine still set up a poisonous foam. Oh, yeah. I remember. Good night. Good night.
Don't even think about it. Don't say another word. It's it's a very special match. Fish funny, fish funny, Tony. It seems like I'm genuinely having a right laugh at that moment, mm. like it's real, you know. And that's the thing that they are the most authentic thing in the movie. So everything involving just those two are probably the great parts of the movie. Unfortunately, it does feel like it's bogged down by everything else. <laughs> Um, we meet Frank Stallone in the uh, in the in the five tone Tommy's bar, yeah. and he's the one that kind of forces him to do the the job, to, the auction house job, to try and, and find the horse, basically that we mentioned at the beginning. I of love the movie. this clip because mm. it's a kind of a dig at Sylvester Stallone. Listen to this. Go on. Cute shot, Eddie. He's a Mario, Anthony Mario. I didn't know the circus was in town. So. Why won't you do the auction house? Call me superstitious, Caesar. I don't like to commit a crime within 24 hours of getting out of the joint. That. Very simple. There's a safe on the seventh floor. You take their thingy and you put it in this thingy. Directions even your brother could understand. Yeah, directions even I could understand. Shut up. <laughs> I thought that was quite harsh towards Sylvester Sloan, but it's yeah. It does feel like a it does feel like a slight dig because because the whole point is remember they got the Mario Brothers, which also there's another weird random thing with there's another reoccurring joke which I think only Bruce Willis finds funny is that he was he basically he he's been in prison for so long he has no idea what a Nintendo is right yeah and those two brothers are literally called the Mario Brothers yeah right like if you are it's like sure, I think I think Bruce Willis like oh this is gonna be hilarious the man who's, who's saying like hey look at the Mario Brothers over here and he doesn't know what a Super Nintendo is Ooh! I know <laughs> that's just so silly it's just it's I mean, I, I I didn't even think about that, actually. I didn't think about that connection. Yeah, but... yeah, because it's an ongoing, it's a ongoing thing. I think at the very end of the movie, I think Andy McDowell goes to Bruce, uh, Bruce Willis and is like, hey, um, I think it's like, hey, if you want to, we can just spend all night playing Nintendo. <laughs> Anna? Yes, that's it. Can I ask you something? Sure. Why are you here? Because I want to see you play Nintendo with me. I can't think of anybody I'd rather play Nintendo with. It's all the jokes that Bruce Willis loves. This is this kind of weird sort of, I wouldn't want to call it dad humor. It feels a bit like your dad trying hard to say a joke and yeah. really putting the effort in. It's like, or no, 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 not your dad, your uncle. That's different because your uncle can say really bad jokes and then he sort of sits there expecting going, huh? Huh? And you don't want them to make them feel bad, so you kind of like laugh a little bit, uh, like fake laugh. Kind of like. You're like, ah, funny. Yeah. Oh, God, that was terrible. <laughs> Can we talk about this scene, which is probably the most famous scene in the movie and probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, where he, where the actual heist happens and they're sneaking in and they do all the banter going into the museum. And so there's a weird ongoing thing again another ongoing joke where bruce willis seems to magically know the lengths of songs yeah right? it seems like he's 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 he obviously been doing this for a while and he's memorized a lot of songs mm. and the length of the songs and he just I don't, I don't know this just seems like a really odd thing just it's just almost like just to make him charismatic uh he seems to want to time the jobs while singing along the songs to get the timing done within that time frame. 
Uh, and this particular job is uh, they, they decide to go with um, swinging on a star because that's how long it'll take to do the job. And, Which uh, is about so, five minutes 37, I think it is, or something yeah, like that. So I've got a clip of just li- the, 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 uh, when that starts. Yeah. Well, we got about uh, five minutes and change. 5.32, swinging on a star. You know, they invented something while you're inside. It's called a watch. Hey, Tom. But what I love yeah. is when Bruce Willis starts singing, mm. the joy on Tommy Five Tones' face when he sees, oh, we're going for it. We're, here we go. <sighs> He's like so having so much fun from that point onwards and then just yeah. kind of goes along with Hawk's kind of t- uh, energy. Mm. And then that's what like makes the scene great. And like <laughs> so much so that towards the end, Tommy's so loud and into it, he slides into the scene. Remember, he slides yeah. in. I've got a clip of that bit as well. Go for it. You can hear his shoes like squeak then because Tommy slides into shot, full voice, singing, belting out the song. And I'm thinking, these guys, right, they're cat burglars, and how loud are they? They, they literally don't care at this point. They're having a whale of a time. As, 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 as a timing mechanism, this is kind of cute. It's the cute thing. Because in all heist movies, they have like, what's the weird selling point of this heist, right? Because you can't just, you know, with, with Ocean's Eleven, is like all the double turns and all the double turns and the twists where you look at the heist has already been done and everything else. And if you look at other heist movies, it's like, are we going with brute force? Are we going with masks or whatever? This one is they do everything in song, which is honestly really cute. And I feel like it's a, I feel like this is Bruce Willis's excuse to show off his musical chops because remember this it was him and his musical buddy yeah. who said who wrote this. So I think like I want people to know that I can sing. <laughs> you know, people forgot my Bruno album, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sing the tunes here. And he's having so much fun. They're having so much fun. By the end of it, you can see when it finally the last number, like they're doing jazz hands and dancing yeah. right at the very end. And it's adorable. There's also a lot of like dated comedy in, in this movie. And like, I'll give mm. an example, like the security guards, when they're just kind of bored in the um, mm. booth. There's got this bit, remember this bit? Mm. 673 wongs in a phone book. Hmm. It's a hell of a lot of wong numbers. Okay. <laughs> God's sake. And that's so cringe, isn't it? That kind of thing. But this is the thing as well. Like, if you if you imagine that this is, like, inside the mind of Bruce Willis, <laughs> you know Bruce Willis would have found that absolutely hilarious. Yeah. He would have sat there going, that's funny. He even that put a bit in funny. the score, though, to emphasize the joke. Fucking hell, you know? Like, we get it. So much wong. music timing thing i mm. really wish that was like like all the way through the movie like for example even if not even if it's not just on a job for example say some people came to his apartment and they wanted to kill him for example in yeah. one scene and he was doing a fight scene in time with a song and kind of like and it wasn't even a job at that point it was just the fact that he was timing all the uh, the, the fight by a song i'd love that i'd, lo- I'd love to if there was more of that kind of stuff 
Do you know what, though? Just saying that, we've already got a movie like that. It's called Baby Driver. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like, Baby Driver was amazing that way. Imagine if this was done during that time with Bruce was going, right, okay, so basically I'm, I love music. And I love, I love this kind of music. I love the 40s, 50s, 60s crooner music. Everything's crooner music. And I sing it everywhere. But I organize everything through this. And that'll be awesome. Every, every fight scene, every, every, every caper, even things like romantic seduction could be like the music plays. Like, right, five minutes, 37, plays a song on. It's like, that's how long it's going to take me to seduce you. And you're like, yeah. It could even be like cheesy, like you could break the fourth wall and like even sort of talk to the audience when it when a song is going to start and stuff and like and I'd love yeah. that. Like I think that would be hilarious. Um, I think that would have worked with the comedy and the the tone that I think Bruce Willis was really wanting to go. Yeah. Okay, because I feel like that's working because everything else gets really weird by the end because he jumps into the apartment literally. <laughs> And we go to Frankie Stallone's apartment where we suddenly get introduced to Alfred, a.k.a. the butler. He's a very scary character. Yeah, I've got a clip of that as well because, you know, I mentioned like how violent the movie is. Mm. And you've got the the dirty parole officer that gave, that told uh, Bruce Willis about the job. Yeah. He's in this scene and he's getting a bit mouthy and he's like, he's, asking, mm. he's obviously asking about where his money is. And let's just hear that. Go for it. You son of a bitch. I stuck my neck out setting this up for you limey bastards. Now where's my cut? So much for his cut. <laughs> Forgive my dry British humour. <laughs> so, yeah, you get in a very violent throat slash in that yeah. scene and it's jarring after a, such a great comedy scene you know and you know what's weird though and this is going to be basically the whole movie right it's a thing i've been trying to battle watching this movie again who is this movie for now <laughs> okay so who is this movie for the movie is too childish to be fully for adults mm. right because a lot of the humor is cringy dad humor and sometimes really childish cartoon humor, which will ha- which we will get to once we get to the Mayflowers, by the way, yes. um, and and the Candy Cub. But we'll talk about them in a second. Um, it's too violent for kids, so it's not a family movie because there are twenty two people that die horrible deaths, mm. um, and it's too mature and it's swearing and it's kind of and there's a couple of cunnilingus jokes. It's odd. It's like I think if this movie was made today, I mean, it probably wouldn't be green lit today. But if it was made, it all the violent adult stuff will be cut out, and it would be just like a twelve A kind of movie. It wouldn't. There's no reason for it to have the adult stuff in it. You know, it's it's because the majority of the tone is the comedy stuff. So why is it, is the violence there and the swearing and the odd sort of adult jokes and stuff, why are they there? Like- I don't know. And this, and this makes me think, who is it for? Because it's too immature to be for adults. It's too mature to be for families. It sometimes takes itself too seriously to be a full-blown goofball comedy. And the comedy is so lame and interjects with the serious stuff that it constantly clashes. And I realise who this movie is for. It's just for Bruce Willis. Yeah. This is literally Bruce Willis is probably sitting in his thing and going like, this is the best movie he's ever made. Right. This is him 
projected directly onto screen. And his buddy, uh, Robert Kraft, perhaps, maybe? Yeah, maybe. It's, maybe it's literally, it's both of them. Yeah. It, this is them projected, right? And they just want to put everything they love into it, from caper movies to goofball comedies from the 1940s to to all the serious action stuff that Joel Silver's very good for, which I wouldn't be surprised if he came and going like, they need the blood, they need the action. You're an action star. We need to put the action in. So, okay, Joel. So we'll, we'll do a couple of throat cuts and some nice stabbings, why don't you? <laughs> so, okay, then we'll do some explosions, okay? Are you happy, Joel? Whatever. And then you got the and then you got the quirkier creative stuff, which I assume is from Michael Lehman, who goes over and says, like, I do dark comedies, so can I do some dark humor in here? And it's, and Bruce Willis is probably going like, sure, I like dark humor. You did Heather's, you know what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, the difference is Heather's script is absolutely amazing. So. It's such a good script. <laughs> it's, I think that's the thing is like, you could get the best director for the job, but if the script is crap, it's mm. not going to work, which is what happened here. So the movie's not made for anyone. So when this happens, like all this jarring stuff like that, you're saying that's for someone else, but it's not really if you're watching the grand scheme of things. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Soon after this, um, yeah. we go to the auction house. Yes. And uh, do you remember... The auctioneer is the guy yeah. from Coronation Street. Oh my God, it is! <laughs> Fred, it is. He was Fred Elliott in Coronation Street. Uh, I've got a clip of him just for the nostalgia of Coronation Street. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, and finally, lot number 17. Thought to be lost in the war. And again, last night. <laughs> the Da Vinci Sforza, the jewel of the same. Fantastic. Is looking like a constipated warthog, the prerequisite for getting a job in the art world. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's the scene also where you're introduced to the Mayflowers, isn't it? So we can talk about them, I guess. Yes, okay. Can I talk about the Mayflowers? Because yeah. they are both the best thing in the movie and the worst thing in the movie. Because I don't think they're the best thing at all. I hate them. I no, really... but that's the thing. What I mean, like, they are amazing, but not in this movie. Like, if you imagine them in a completely different movie, right? I know it's going to sound really dumb, but in a completely different movie, they'd be the best thing because they are eating it up. They are full ham not even ham it's a ham and cheese sandwich deep fried in lard it's so big they're all 
they're almost like a Tim Burton couple, like a Tim Burton. Let's say surreal and wacky. It's like it's yeah. something from a Tim Burton movie. It's it's odd. And it's kind of teased, like it's kind of teased, like they're like they're a couple, but they're not a couple. Or are they? Are they brother and sister? Who knows? It's all kind of up there with them. One hundred million clams. One hundred million dollars to Mr. Darwin Mufflow. One hundred million and one, Waldo. Fantastic. One hundred million dollars and one. I bid by my own wench, Kel Balmer. Don't hate me, baby. Funny. Funny. Any other yeah, they're the show off. They're made, they're made of Richards because basically they are the ones, they're the real bad guys because realistically what happens is they, the horse was already swapped out with a fake horse or a horse that's a whole, it's an over elaborate scheme to get all the pieces of the horse, yes. right? Get all the pieces of the horse, which inside the pieces of the horse and a few other things are the pieces of the crystal that has the gold making machine, right? That's quite literally the point of it all. Um, but basically, so they're, they're, they're just there trying to find the stuff. And so they do the auction and that's when you first introduce them being this big outlandish thing. And, and so it's, they, at the end of the day, it's like, they kind of want to keep Bruce Willis alive and we'll explain why in a moment. But in the meantime, when we got those bad guys happening, we later find out when the, when the whole thing's going off and they're trying to hide around and doing some stuff that, uh, Anna who played by Andy McDowell secretly is an undercover nun for the Vatican. <laughs> yeah. So what? I don't need that in there at all, do we? It's, it's so it's annoying. It's more convoluted nonsense than any right to be. So basically she's a, she's a secret agent for the Vatican because the Vatican owns a lot of Leonardo da Vinci's stuff and they don't want anyone to try and rob the stuff. So she's there to be sure that no one robs the stuff, basically. Yeah, and at first, obviously, they think that Hudson Hawk is wanting it for himself, like all these things that he's trying yeah. to... So they see him as a real threatening, evil man kind of thing. He's and then she, re- she obviously realises after a bit that he's being forced into it, you know? He's being manipulated by the Mayflowers, mm. which happens a little bit later on in the movie, because when this happens onto the thing, then the other part, which I find quite interesting, uh, because, okay, so the way they get the horse, the payment goes, I love this bit, because we forgot about this. Once it goes like, sold for one billion and one dollars, and people go like, no, don't do it. He drops the gavel. The guy explodes. Yeah, okay? Fred Elliott from Coronation Street explodes. <laughs> It's a nasty explosion because you can see the dummy and the dummy explodes into loads of tiny pieces and he's in flames and you're like, Jesus. Um, the explosion causes a lot of havoc. Bruce Willis gets knocked out. He's in an ambulance and then we get this really ridiculous, kind of fun, but also really goofy ambulance scene. Yeah, I've got a clip of that. I know it's mostly visual, but yeah. I wanted to play it because we've also got Frank Stallone being so wacky, like a comic book villain. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of that scene. So I've got mm. just a b- little bit of that where the beginning of the scene with the uh, mob goons and mm. then also the bit where um, Hawk is on the stretcher going through the toll booth. I just had to- oh my God, that's amazing. I love that scene. <laughs> Could just play along, could you, Eddie? Huh? 
Hey, 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 Eddie. Clancy Wayne go up in our tracks, eh? That old Chanel ought to be landing on LaGuardia any minute now. <laughs> hey, subtlety is not one of our strong points. Oh, yeah, that's a bit where the needles go in his face. <laughs> Kind of really laughed at the scene. <laughs> he does it so perfectly. I know that's basically just action stuff that you can't really see, but the the, uh, the main part is the fact that you hear him saying "toll booth," exact change, change, and he's running for the pockets. He throws it, and he does it. And you know what? That's a funny joke. Yeah, because because he's he's literally on the stretcher, going through the power of his own will. There's also like weird other jokes, like literally this random couple who are driving say, "Hey, Mister, are you gonna die?" It's like, excuse me. What the hell? And that's an example of um, <laughs> Bruce being kind of wacky. Because mm. in that one, he, he he isn't serious at all in that scene. He's kind of as animated as the Mayflowers almost, isn't he? Kind of really crazy, especially when he, he gets the toll booth thing right. And he's laughing yeah. like manically to himself, like, ha, 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 like that. Like, <laughs> I've done it. I did it. Kind of thing. And it ends on an over elaborate explosion where I think basically the Mario Brothers are dead now. There's, the, 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 there is no one up on Magic Mushroom for that one. And so they've died in a horrible explosion, which then leads introduced to another set of baddies. Which oh, the CIA people, yeah. The CIA people, George Kaplan and the Candy Bar Gang, basically. I, don't, oh. I, I just find them, I don't like them. I find them annoying. They're all stereotypes. They're all stereotypes of something. But one thing I do love is like, they're all named after, they're all named after famous American uh, candy bars. So you've got Kit Kat. Papa is being played by uh, David Caruso, aka Mr. CSI Miami Man himself. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a mime, isn't he? Like he's, he's like the alt, the best mime. Like he, yeah, he's 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 basically undercover agent, mime, copy, mimic, whatever you want. But he he talks to people in cards, and how does he get them prepared so quickly? Like <laughs> they're exactly what he wants to say at that moment on a card printed. You then got uh, Almond Joy, and she's like the serious one, right? You've then got Snickers, who is the smart one, and then you've got and then you've got Butterfinger, who I'm not gonna lie. I know he's 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 a horrible stereotype of just jock manly girl, right? Yeah, because he's big and butch. But I found him so funny. But it's but like funny in like a sitcom way. Like if he wasn't a sitcom, I'd laugh the hell out of it because he he says all the dumb stuff. He's a bit thick. Well, yeah, he's very thick. But there's a bit and- though. Do you remember? There's a very inappropriate line. Um, basically, I've, as we're talking about him now, I'll play it now. But they're on a stakeout outside um, Andy McDowell and, and Bruce Willis, like the, the apartment, her apartment. They're, yeah. they're, they're outside. And uh, Butterfinger just says this. What's going on in there? You want me to rape them? <laughs> what? Yeah, just read your book, Butterfinger. What? <laughs> Oh my god, so dark! Not in a boat, not on a train. That sounds how, how thick he is. I don't think he knows what rain. that word means. I do not like you, Nathan. To yourself. Yeah, why? Who? Why would they put that line in there? That is so weird. 
It's shock. It's that is an example of just dark shock humor for the sake of it. Yeah, but it's like it's not even funny. <clears throat> like, excuse me. See, even How the we- other actors in the scene are like shocked by it. They, there's a yeah, big silence like, just, after he says it. It's like just read a book. Like honestly, read a book. Come and also coming out of the dumbest character as well, which makes me feel like. Ugh. Ugh, it's uh, it's so gross um but yeah they are all them and then you've got george kaplan who interesting fact by the way just another just, just throw one of my facts out there george kaplan right is the fake agent name used by carrie grant in uh, north by northwest all right cool yeah so this is the thing where he's trying he's, bruce willis is trying to make obvious references to movies he likes so he likes north by northwest he's liked like to catch a thief and all that stuff and he's trying his best to make it this way but he just can't think of a tone because when he's introduced george kaplan uh you know he's introduced as the head of the old cia i love how he introduced him it's like you remember me last time but i had different i had no hair and a very long mustache <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like you're just, you were just a whole, totally different person. You like the company's new look? I call them the MTVIA. George, you promised no old CIA, new CIA jokes. Punks. They think the Bay of Pigs is an herbal tea, and the Cold War has something to do with penguins. Don't I know you? The last time you saw me, I was bald with a beard and no mustache, and I had a different nose. So if you don't recognize me, I won't be offended. My high school science teacher? <laughs> I'm the guy who tricked you into robbing the government installation and then had you sent to prison for it. George Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the type to hold a grudge, George. I used you as a diversion. I guess down deep I was just jealous. You were one hell of a thief. I love the scene actually when he uh, meets up with him in in Rome, and yeah. uh, he said he, he's he's really nostalgic about Rome. He goes, ah, ah yeah, I did my first strang- barehanded strangulation here. <laughs> this was the time. This was the good old days when there were fucking commies to kill. It's like good old fashioned everything. Oh, you old boomer. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a funny scene actually. There, see, there are funny. some bits that actually did make me laugh. This is the thing though. There are bits that will make you laugh, mm. right? But it feels very random. Like, I think I like Butterfinger most of the time because he's an idiot. Um, like, the first time you introduced to him, he's literally, he, he's dragged an entire porter potty around him. He slips and he goes, my name is Butterfinger. It's like, of course. And then Bruce Willis goes, of course you are. You know, I get that. It's funny. Um, but then there's other bits in between. This is where we're then properly introduced to Mayflowers um, at, uh, at the scene where we see him in the big, like, fucking like meeting hall where they get Bruce Willis in and uh, it's really funny because basically you've got, uh, San- you've got, you've got Sandra Bernhardt singing, I've got the power. <laughs> oh, it's just so, that really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, everything she does is annoying. She is annoying. I'm not admittedly. And also, also when they're in Rome, you get an example of the, um, the cringy kind of sexy voice of, you know when like they have the, the the date what i am the weather sir oh very nice fettuccine con fungi porcini prego oh and bring me a bottle of ketchup with that will you <laughs> you heard him ketchup they had the worst ketchup when i was in prison prison I was a warden. How long were you in? Let's just say I never saw E.T. Ooh. 
That was a while. Wow. You were in the joint. Doing hard time. Mm hmm It's funny, but that excites me. Oh, does it now? I seem to have a thing for sinners. Well, I seem to have a thing for sinning. Check, please. <laughs> <laughs> Actually says check please. It's like such a <laughs> such an obvious kind of joke to have in like a restaurant scene, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I just. Uh, I mean, this is the thing as well. Like we all, we, we the thing we know eventually is that we've discovered that, and like I said, Annie McDowell is an undercover nun for the Vatican to try and stop the whole thing happening. And the whole idea is that she thinks the best way to like stop him from doing any crime is to literally try and seduce him. But she can't do it, and so she's playing coy because she is a nun, right? Yeah. So she can't break the vow of her sistership. So he's basically cock-blocking the entire thing <laughs> yeah. all the time. Like, it gets hot and steamy, and then she says, I can't do it. But um, and, but not like in like a, oh, whatever it is. But then there's moments going like, I can't do this, and goes back to, but I must, but I can't. But I must, but I can't. But I must, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, because she just seems to actually like him. But at the same time, it, it's weird because there's not a great deal of ke natural chemistry Mm. It's like it's it's hard to kind of see that. It's almost like, well, the plot says that she's supposed to like him, so I guess you're supposed to believe it, but and it's kind of flat. So when they do end up getting together, you're thinking, is it just because the plot says so? They yeah. get together now? Sure. Listen, this might be hard to believe, but I'm just a regular Joe. I just want to be happy. And happiness comes from the achieving of goals. It's just that when you've made your first billion by the age of 19, it's hard to keep coming up with new ones. But now, finally, I got myself a new goal. Wild domination! <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Bunny. Quit that. Bunny ball ball. I think Bunny's got today's ball balls. Bad Bunny. Oh, Bunny, you weren't that bad. Just two more minutes. I was so close. So the Mayflowers have basically said, hey, look, right? I'm going to, we're going to kill you and all the people you love and everyone else, including, including your buddy, you know, Five Tone and everything else. If you do not go and try and rob the uh, Leonardo da Vinci's codex, from the Vatican, right? Yeah. Which is, oh, okay, we're going back to the heist. Cool. So he ends up going around the Vatican, having a look, trying to find a codex and writing a list of random objects and everything else. And he ends up with a cool sequence because he ends up, they find out the Vatican has its own underground, like, railway system for the post. Mm. So he takes full advantage of that, hiding in a hiding in a box that goes into the Vatican, launch himself out, and then do things like with a beach ball and, and with rope and with, like, mirrors. And it's good. It's fun stuff. Why do I not have more of this, please? Yeah, but it wasn't timed to a song or anything, which I, I wanted more of that. Like, every heist, I wanted yeah. to be timed to a song. It's just me, but... No, 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 I feel like that should have had a song as well. Yeah. I think maybe maybe the reason why he didn't have a song with it because he didn't have his partner in crime, maybe. Mm. Maybe he, need, he needs to be a double act. He sees, he sees him and his buddy being a double act, and when he's doing it solo can't sing can't he, he can't feel the joy he, he can't he can't get into it he can't get into the flow he needs his bouncing buddy he needs his bromance baby yeah. and he ain't getting it 
Um, so yeah, he does eventually end up robbing the uh, the Codex with ease, actually. Like, this wasn't difficult. And like, you'd, you'd imagine it with the Vatican to be quite difficult, but it wasn't that hard. No, he just yanked it out there with a, like a fishing rod, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically he uses the mirrors. So he uses, he uses a bunch of mirrors so that the lasers don't go off. Then then he throws a fishing rod, grabs it before the, the security thing falls on top of them. And then he just, then he just bolts and lands directly in time to that date. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tommy, Tommy Five Tones back. He turns out he was double-crossing him, but wasn't really. It was all this to get a ploy, and there's an even more elaborate plan for them to escape the Mayflower so they can do the mission themselves uh, by faking their death and going into a fake ambulance and goes to the Vatican that gets Andy McDowell, and all three are now back together to stop the Mayflowers doing the thing, and I'm already tired. Yeah. Ed, I am very tired. This is, the movie's only 90 minutes long and so much is happening. I feel like I, I, I need to have the like a beautiful mind thing. I need to write on the windows I trying know. to find all the links. Okay, I'm very confused by what's going on here. Well, this is around that time as well when um, they, they gas them all and when they come around, they mm. have weird side effects from the gas, don't they? And like Andy yeah. McDowell's character starts talking very odd, but she's actually quite funny in that scene. I'll play a clip from that. Go for it. I don't know. It must be the Karari. It's been known to have certain side effects. Oh, really, George? I feel like a dolphin who's never tasted melted snow. Listen. <laughs> the Apprentice's diary contains a code that explains how the three pieces of crystal fit together. If you could do us the honor and decipher how the code works, we would be eternally grateful. What does the color blue taste like? <laughs> Bubble nose. <laughs> I must speak with the dolphins now. <laughs> Just shoot her. Anybody? Darwin, this is supposed to be torture, not therapy oh, that hilarious. dolphin impression is great oh she 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 knows how to do a dolphin you can't lie about that yeah i'm just remembering it's not a gas is it it's the dart isn't it it's the like the yes. dart that knocks them out because there's that scene where they kind of like they're coming they're coming back around and they're kind mm. of like tommy's sort of his hand sort of sort of become more animated he can move his hand again and like and then they eventually yeah. kind of are able to because, get out of that situation because there's another scene here basically after that happens because they all get darted and it's basically the kids and paralyzed for a small amount of time yes. in the apartment and then all and then you've got then you've got george kaplan and all of the kick and all the uh candy bar gang all sort of waiting and raring to go to try and just say right you know you double but you you, you double crossed us you shouldn't do that blah 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 and so snickers tries to get out this weird ass rocket launcher which is hilarious Hilarious how this works. Guys, we got some good news and some bad news. The good news is you'll be completely unparalyzed in about two minutes. Bad news is that leaves you only five seconds to defuse the bomb. Bombs? <laughs> and 
oh, I love, I do kind of find the scene funny because eventually he gets, uh, Bruce Willis and everyone else gains ability to kind of move their legs a bit and they're still kind of stiff. Yeah. As they're running around like so. He trips him up. The rocket bounces off the side of a wall, hits him in the face. And because it's a sticky rocket grenade, he's like holding it like, oh no, oh no, before he explodes. And the and Bruce Willis and and Bruce Willis and Dan, Danny Aleo just kind of just jumps out of the balcony and just oh, it's fucking brilliant. But it it, it wipes out most of the candy bar gang, doesn't it? It kills Almond Joy and Snickers with just a giant explosion. <laughs> and but it's just kind of funny because as they run, as he's like trying, the, the both of them are trying to run out of the balcony. You can see that's like I said, they're slowly trying to regain their fingers and moving stuff. So they're just like they're trying to stretch the entire time. Yeah. Oh, it's it's kind of funny uh, before it gets into that. But again, that's another sign of like the at like the cartoon violence that's happening here. Like it's hard violence. A man explodes, right? But it's cartoonish because it's a bouncing grenade launcher into their face. Yeah. And in that, yeah, uh, in in the scene where they they they're sort of sneaking into the Tommy and uh, Hawk yeah. sneaking into the castle, they use this uh, <laughs> this like a very loud method of getting in there which i found hilarious because like obviously they're not the most sneakiest cat burglars are they and they've got a nah. great scene of where they just making their entrance go for it i'm thinking of using the seven iron looks long junior six iron bingo thank you Four. four did anybody hear something I, I heard something. <laughs> it's just like so loud. Well, loudest entrance for cat burglars. Yeah, I, I think by this point, I think by this point, they're just kind of fed up. Like, there's like, I'm tired of doing it the whole sneaky way. Let's do this. Although they are singing a song again because they're both together again. They're singing side by side. Yeah. So they're singing like they're doing side by side and just enjoying it while they're just literally blowing up this castle into loads of tiny pieces. So, oh, side by side? Da da da. Oh, we ain't got a barrel of money. We may be ragged and funny, but we'll travel along. Hit it and he's singing a song. Side by side. And then, yeah, they get it, it all leads up to the scene where they need, they, for some reason, only Hawk has the ability to join the, these crystals together. <laughs> Somehow, like, apparently, like, apparently he, he read them with up. ease um, mm. to set the machine, the Da Vinci's machine off to make the to make the gold, and then you yes. get the. Um, but he does it slightly wrong, doesn't he? Deliberately, so that yeah. it, it it will backfire. He takes out the one little extra crystal from there. Yeah, and then so that sort of causes some kind of explosion. Then you get a fight scene between him and Al- Alfred. Yeah. Who uh, gets decapitated he <laughs> by does. his own knives. Hey, Alfred. You won't be attending that hat convention in July. Do you see what I mean? Like, if it would have been cool if it was a swashbuckler, duh, 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 maybe a stab in the stomach, but, like, not graphic or whatever. You know, like, like you, you can get away with a man getting stabbed if you don't show it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he gets decapitated, and then he fights the dog. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. And they they um, escape from the scene. Um, yes. Adam McDowell and Bruce Willis escape 
on Da Vinci's flying machine. So that's a, an yes. iconic, another iconic shot from the movie. I think that was on the poster, like them in the glider mm. type of thing. So that's kind of a visually kind of an iconic escape kind of scene. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then they're all sort of like uh, wondering, they're kind of walking off thinking, yeah, we've escaped this, but they're thinking they're, they're sad about Tommy. But so, Tommy's dead. so it ends on this. Go on. Oh, I just wish Tommy were here. No way. That's not very nice. No way! Yes way! He's alive! <laughs> Did I miss anything? Did you miss anything? You're supposed to be all crashed up at the bottom of the hill! Airbags! Can you fucking believe it? Sprinkler system set up in the back! Can you fucking believe it? How many times do you say that? That's probably what happened! Drink it, Captain. That's probably what happened! Hey. Drink your coffee. There you go. Drink your cappuccino. Drink your coffee. He finally gets a cappuccino! Finally! And that is the end When the world saved and the secrets of Da Vinci protected, Eddie finally got his coffee. Would you like to swing on a star? Jesus Christ. Um... So I know I like the way as well. It really emphasizes the whole coffee thing because it free- yeah. does that whole old school freeze frame, doesn't it? He has the coffee mm. and then he throws it the cup beh- off into the, behind him and it freezes on that and then goes into the, the, the credit song. One thing I like about that scene is because it seems like they may not have had the budget to film how he properly escaped. So it was funny way he said like, well, this is what happened. And this is what happened. I love how Bruce Willis, yeah, that is what happened. Let's not ever talk about this elaborate escape plan again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I believe you, basically. <laughs> and also adding to the whole cartoon uh, element, yeah. Tommy Five Tone emerges when they see him in the distance and he's like just got soot on his face like he's been in an explosion and he's only yeah. got soot on his face is that that's kind of a level of cartoon you're talking about like <laughs> right um do you know what i i know i usually want to do a bit of spiel and so on and talk about like the like about the critical responses and stuff like that but i think we should just go right into the trashometer with this one what do you think ed i think so Thank you. If this is the first time listening to us, welcome and thank you for joining us along when we tried reviewing the Hudson Hawk. Uh, so, uh, we, we review things a little bit different, right? We don't do, like, letter ratings or star ratings or numbers. We do something called a trashometer. The trashometer, basically, is a five-sort-of-scale thing where basically it tells us how much trash we... how, how much we're enjoying the trash. Because a good, bad movie, and Ed, you'd agree here, it needs to be a balance of good and bad, where the good stuff and the bad stuff, and even the bad stuff that can become good again, sort of balance itself out so you can have an enjoyable experience. Yeah. If it's too much bad... If it's too much bad, it's no longer a good bad movie. It's just a bad movie. If it's not bad enough, it's not really a trash movie now, isn't it? So this is where we go with. We start off at tame. Tame means basically we got bored. The, it wasn't fun. It was more boring than anything else. Uh, like there really wasn't anything we called trashy or not even good. It was just a bit land and we've had a few of those like movies like doom for example was a tame which was a very much a surprise um then we go into tiny bit trashy tiny bit trashy means there are some nuggets here 
There are some moments of trashy goodness. There are some silly things. There are some things that we like. But it could have been more. There's a lot of potential there that could have been better if we just, you know, if they just kind of were ballsy enough to go in a certain direction. Then there is trash, which is the perfect combination. It is, it is, it's the golden goose. It is the ultimate find. It is the perfect heist caper. Mwah! Right in the middle, right? Chef's kiss. Then you've got too trashy. Too trashy means that while it's got good nuggets, we're getting more annoyed at it. We're starting to feel a little bit offended by it. We're thinking like we're not we're not having that much fun anymore, but not in a boring way. We're just thinking, hmm, we're starting to get a bit of a sit here. I'm not really enjoying it, whatever. And then at the very top is torture. Torture means that it was an absolute torture to sit through, basically. It wasn't fun. It was all bad. We found the whole thing a horrible experience, and we don't want to ever sit through that again. So I'm going to find this. I want, this is going to be quite an interesting one to discuss here, because I want I'll, when, when I come back, I'm going to go a little bit to the critical responses. But, Ed, what do you think? Where should Hudson Hawk be on the trashometer? Um, you know, sometimes I have trouble classing these movies and ranking them this one's yes. fairly easy for me uh, yeah. I would rank it as too trashy uh, yes. because there's only slight elements I think work uh, mm. like the the comedy like crime caper type stuff I love that a lot mm. of this movie is just it, it's too much in the wrong direction from what I want so it's, it's easy mm. to just class it as too trashy and you it, know what I that really yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, and that's and that's what's good about it. I have I had a couple of mixed decisions for me. I actually was jumping back and forth between two, and I'll explain why in a minute. Looking back at the I'm gonna look back very quickly at the critical response to this movie. How everyone gave it really badly the results. Like for example, on Ron Tomatoes is 33%, it's about four point five out of ten. Uh, Robert uh, you know, you know, uh, I mean, Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs down, calling the whole thing a complete disaster, where every line starts from zero and gets nowhere. And Siskel even says, even though there's a few funny moments and further on, salvaged by Will, by Willis and Aleo, has been the only zany characters against a cast of straight men as opposed to a cast full of overacting where everyone's trying too hard to make everyone, everyone a funny line. It feels off. Now... I'm going to say this, and I agree with a lot of the things they're saying. It's overwhelmingly a dislike. Things just don't feel to work. There's too much thrown on the screen. It feels like hubris. It is a passion project that's gone too far. Mm. When I, well, Before I came on to here, I was going to put it on Tiny Bit Trashy, and there's a reason why. I'm going to, this is my original choice. Yeah. Because as, as I was watching it, halfway through the movie, I accepted the fact that this movie is an absolute tonal mess and just went all over the shop to the point that I wasn't even angry anymore. I got bored to the point that as I was watching it, I was on my phone just going, "Eh." like it it basically like you lost me movie. Like you've lost me. Like you've actually lost me. Um, Yeah. In terms of my attention and appeal. It's kind of weird in it because for me, like, I could. I mean, I, and here's the thing. Though, looking back at now, what we discussed and how slightly annoyed I was getting, I would put this on. T- I would put this on too trashy because it feels like if you weren't, if you didn't let it wash over you, there's two ways you can approach this movie. You can either say it's too much for you and just ignore it, which means by that point you're not even interested in the movie anymore, which is not great or you get frustrated at the fact that there's potential in this movie like all the heist stuff for example and the musical numbers and the chemistry between Willis and Leo and you're sitting there going like and you're thinking they're like 
Huh, there is potential here. If they only picked one thing instead of five, basically, and made that work, this would have actually been a really good movie. It would have actually been a fun movie, and it would have shown Bruce Willis's quirky side without being too quirky. So, I am thinking more. I am more annoyed at the potential here, I think, than bored by it. So maybe this is on too trashy, but it feels like it feels like it's right in the middle of too trashy, like right in the middle of it, where you can see you're getting annoyed at, but mostly because you're disappointed at the movie, and you know for a fact there's a good movie in there somewhere. If someone just had the gumption to just tell Bruce Willis to stop, <laughs> yeah, I mean they were the only two ranks I would have considered. Like I wouldn't look yeah. any like it's either it's either tiny bit or it's either too trashy. There's nothing in mm. no other option. And that's the thing is like I was going for tiny, but I'm going to go for two, mostly because it feels like this is a this is this is a movie with a lot of potential. And if it was, if someone, if and if someone rewrote this now and gave it a single tone rather than multiple, this could have been actually a really fun movie and got rid of some bits and made things a lot better. So yeah, I think that this would go into too trashy. Yeah. Too trashy. Thank you. It's right up there. My goodness. Um, so yeah, that was our Bruce Willis tribute, which is kind of a shame, really, because we kind of egged him throughout the movie. Although it's, I would argue that it's not entirely all him. I do feel like this movie was. It's Bruce Willis having his heart out him and robert Kraft, just uh just having their heart out for a passion project idea they've always wanted to put on screen and it's just a sh- and it just doesn't work it's it's undercooked it's overcooked and undercooked it's boring and banal it's everything all at once <laughs> but i will now tease this actually i don't usually tease the next episode but um, before, because usually we go to wrap up, we just where we do our plugins, where we talk about some of the latest things that's happening both on the podcast and on our YouTube channels. But um, I'm going to actually tease um, a couple of a couple of future episodes of the podcast. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to get it ready because next month is June. So basically, by that point is around June. So basically, it's Pride Month around that time. So we're going to have a couple of specials. Ed, this is the first time I'm telling you this. So get ready. Okay. We're going to do a camp classic. Yeah. It's going to be one that drag queens love for bits. And it's one that you've already used for one of the sound bites for the for the trashometer. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, next the next episode that Ed and I are going to do together is Mummy Dearest. So Ah, cool, okay. Great. We're going to do the Joan Crawford movie starring Faye Dunaway and the whole thing with the fucking coat hangers. No! So we're doing Mummy Dearest as the next episode because I think we need a palate cleanser. I actually think we need a palate cleanser out of Hudson Hawk. Yeah, although I did I did uh, like Hudson Hawk enough to buy it. I've got it on DVD, so it must be something. But yeah, Mummy Dearest, I'm looking forward to that. That'd be good. Mummy Dearest would be a fun yeah. one. And then also, there's going to be another episode where I'm going to be joined by the Their Queer podcast. So in other words, we're joined by the two Liams, Liam James and Liam Banks, where we're going to do fucking Xanadu. So, oh, excellent. Okay, that'd be great, yeah. We're doing Xanadu. We're going to do an all-queer episode where we're doing Xanadu with uh, 
with, with Olivia Newton-John and a bunch of disco dancing. Um, other than that, though, there's not much on my end, other than the fact that there's been a couple of episodes up already um, of the podcast, including, like we said like last time, we also put in a new episode of the Not So Trash Reviews, where Sophie Black and I talked about vampirism in cinema using Only Lovers Left Alive, which is doing really well, actually. A lot of people are like that episode. Oh, great. Yeah, it is a really good one. I liked it, yeah. Um, yeah. Over on the YouTube channel, on the Retro Rewind YouTube channel, we've got a few things in the pipeline. There's nothing out sort of recently, um, but I, I want to do... I'm writing a script for nostalgic albums, and the most nostalgic al- albums of my life. Um, mm. So I'm going to do that. That's going to be out soon. But also, I want to do... I've been teasing this for a while. Because we've done Hudson Hawk on the podcast, I want yeah. to do play the Hudson Hawk game and compare it to the movie and just do one of our... Because we, we kicked off that series with Batman Returns. Is Batman Returns game better than the movie? Because uh, mm. they had a really good version on the Super Nintendo. So sometimes... Uh, yeah, we're talking about only the Super Nintendo version. Let's not talk about the Sega Mega Drive version. it creates an interesting debate, especially if the movie wasn't particularly great. Uh, yeah. You might actually have more fun playing the game than the movie, so it's interesting to like compare them sometimes. So we do. I, I, I could either do that together, or I might do it on my own, depending on how, if we can get together for it. But I'd love I would like to, to get together for that. I'd one. love to do the uh, NES version of Hudson Hawk. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's quite frustrating. That one, so it might be quite funny. It's quite hard yes. to play. Um, it's just like a, a silly a platforming game. game. Um, I, I, I didn't even know there was a game for it. So yeah. that is... Because I, I originally played it on the Amiga, which is a slightly better than the NES version. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, I played the Amiga version on my friend's house. But comparing the NES one against the movie um, will be very... <laughs> Good fun. I think I'll mostly focus on the game rather than because we've done we've talked about the movie a lot in the podcast. So it mostly be about playing the game, but then talking about how it sort of links in with the movie. We can, but then at least we can say that perhaps then we can just talk about the best bits of the movie instead of having to go through the whole movie. Yeah, and just say let's just watch the favorite bits again, please. Um, so yeah, I think that will be quite fun to do. And also, you know, that's also a time when we talk about Bruce Willis and just our love of Bruce Willis movies, like the good ones. There's loads of good ones we can talk about over there and yeah hopefully hopefully we'll be back for another few videos together it's been it's been a little while since i've gone over um so it will be nice to see if we can go to a couple of videos together but yeah excellent that'll be great right so that's all we got got time for this one thank you very much for joining us just remember keep an eye on your trash there might be some treasure in there see you guys next time see you later Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode and hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it around with movie lovers you know, maybe add a star rating or write a good review. All of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics. Want to find out more about us? Then head over to our socials where we provide sneak peeks and up-to-date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please, follow us. See you next time, cinephiles. Cinephiles.